Hey y'all, how's it going? This is the White Stones Movement podcast number one. We're just getting started. My name's Bo Jacobson, and I'm so glad that you're listening right now. But first, I want to start off by telling you why it is we're going to do what we're going to do. So when I was at National Youth Gathering, which is a gathering of 25,000 students from across the United States, I really felt like God laid it on my heart to start a podcast that's shaped around identity in Christ. You know, we navigate our daily lives and our identity is constantly being transformed through our experiences, our relationships, our emotions, and the big ones, our culture and social media. And when I was speaking to these teens, I felt like my testimony lends well to this, but I also know there's other testimonies that lend well to finding our identity in Christ. So as we're constantly seeking to define who we are, it's where are we finding our identity? And the key verse for this is Revelation 2.17, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But really, this whole podcast is going to be about finding our identity in Christ. And this starts with my testimony. Personally, God has given me such wonderful opportunities to share with the nation about what he has done in my life. So I want to share mine in this first podcast, share my testimony with y'all, and then wrap it back up by bringing it back into the White Stones movement. And as we go forward, each podcast will feature someone else talking about their experiences and how they were able to find their identity in Christ or how they've helped others find their identity in Christ. And as always, if you have any questions, things you want to get answered, we will be posting on our Instagram about who's the next guest, what questions you might have about the previous podcast that we can answer at the first half. And we're going to try to keep these short because we know your commutes aren't all that long or wherever you're listening to, we want to just be effective in the time we have with you. So my testimony, I grew up in Colleyville, Texas and went to Grapevine High School, but I always grew up in a loving home. My dad was president of the congregation. He works in full-time ministry. And my mom was your typical choir lady, just up there singing and using her talent. So I was around church and God my entire life, and I was blessed to have given my life to Christ at a young age. I remember in, in third grade, I got in trouble for sharing the gospel during recess. I was told that I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to talk about that at school. And did it stop me? Heck no. I kept going. And because I knew that was what, what was important, God gifted me the ability to not be afraid of my faith from a very, very young age. So in middle school, I was, I was super active leading Bible studies, and that, that went all the way through high school. I was in the youth praise band. I was super active at my church. I was in choir, handbells, playing the guitar, singing. I was doing everything like that. But at the same time, my parents had gone through a divorce. I had moved from one suburb to the other, new school, and 
it was around the time of becoming a teenager. I had put on some weight. I just, I liked food. There's no other way around it. I liked food, and I didn't like the healthy stuff. I was into pizza, burritos, enchiladas, Hot Pockets, any type of cereal, Little Debbie snacks. I mean, even in in seventh grade football, my coach told me my girlfriend was Little Debbie. And that stunk. But I couldn't, you can't show, when you're 13, you don't think you can show how how something hurts you because it's going to open the door to even more ridicule. So my friends would even make jokes. So I just adopted my identity was, I was the funny fat guy, but I played football and I was darn good at it. So I want, I needed to be big, but I didn't have the education about how to do that properly. And quite frankly, my coaches didn't care. They just wanted me to stay big. So in high school, I weighed 300 pounds. And it paid dividends on the football field. I was, I was getting good at football. I was lifting weights. I was really strong. I wasn't your typical 300 pound, what you might stereotype it as, just playing video games. No, I was at football practice probably four hours a day working out, but I like to eat, and I like to eat a lot. Very vividly, I remember going to CeCe's after practice one day, and there was three of us, and between the three of us, we put down 100 slices of pizza. I accounted for like 35 to 40 of those. That was normal for me. And I wouldn't encourage it to anyone. But I thought I was doing what I had to do to play football well. And I still took on those jokes. It wasn't the bullying of getting pushed into lockers. It was it was jokes about my weight. Being called the fat guy. Being asked, oh, are you going to eat again? Things like that. Things that stung. And when you don't deal with the things that sting... Those scars get deeper and deeper and deeper. So my scars were deep, but nobody knew about them. I was searching for my identity in all the wrong places. So I started to lose weight. After I decided not to play college football, turn down some scholarships, I decided to lose the weight. And I did really effectively because I knew how to work out. I knew how to lift weights. I knew what I needed to do on the fitness side, but I had no idea on the eating side. So what I did, instead of going to Chipotle and getting two burritos or going to CeCe's and eating all that pizza, I would see commercials online of people who ate at Subway and lost weight. So I started going to Subway and then I'd make vegetables. Instead of eating at the cafeteria at school, I would pack my lunch. I, I was doing it the right way originally. And by the time I started college, I had gone from 300 pounds to about 225. I'd lost almost 75 pounds. And in that first semester at college, we all know the the freshman 15 jokes that, that come along because, you know, you're eating back at a cafeteria. And, you know, I had maybe put on five pounds, but I came back for Christmas break and I saw a picture of me online and the picture was taken at a very bad angle but I didn't think about that at the time it was one of those angles where it's shooting from underneath you could probably see things in my nose and it just isn't flattering but that didn't I didn't take account for that when I looked at the picture all I saw was 
oh crap, I must have gained weight. I'm going to get big again. And it sent me into a panic. And that day, I decided that I was going to take control and eat less and exercise more. And so I started running three miles a day. I started lifting weights twice a day. And I started eating only 600 calories a day, six days a week. And on that seventh day, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I'd erupt, basically. And I'd go eat tons of Tex-Mex. I would eat a whole box of double-stuffed Oreos at a time. I would eat candy and chocolate. I was eating 600 calories a day, six days a week. And then one day a week, I'd blow up and eat like 10 to 15,000 calories. And then that next morning, I would wake up after binging. And I'd feel so guilty. And it would all start again. And I had no idea what I was doing to my body. I'd, I didn't want an eating disorder. I just wanted to look the way the, the guys look in the magazines, the athletes. I wanted to look like that. I wanted to be in shape because I thought that would make others accept me. I thought that would heal my scars. So all of this time, I'm still going to church. I'm still seeking God, but I haven't yet rooted my identity in Christ, I was just looking in all the wrong places. I had the base foundation. I had my salvation. I had given my life to Christ. But I was searching in all the wrong places. By the grace of God, my dad stepped in. And me and my dad are like best friends. And I was staying at his house over the summer a couple years later. And at this point, I had lost another good chunk of weight. I was down to about 150 pounds. And on my 6'4 frame... That's pretty frail. You could see the bones in my ribs. You could see my spine. But I thought I looked good. Eating disorders are so twisted because they're more mental than physical. I thought I still had weight to lose. Yet my dad would see me walk around the house and be on the verge of tears because I looked so, so thin. When, when I was able to share my testimony on the Today Show, my dad, who has been over to Africa to feed starving children, he, he said that that's what I looked like. I looked malnourished. Well, because I was. I had access to food, unlike those kids in Africa, but I was looking for my identity in my looks, and I thought I still had weight to lose. My mind was warped. And I say, I say that to say that you can still be a a Christian, and dealing with this. That's the question I get a lot is, well, would you say you were still pursuing Christ? Yes, I was. But I hadn't given Christ everything. I hadn't fully surrendered. Like I said, when I wanted to lose weight, I tried to take control of it. I didn't let God into that conversation. I hadn't rooted my identity in Him. But through those conversations I had with my dad that summer, we were bickering, we were arguing, which wasn't normal for us. I even remember telling him, because my, dad, my dad's in phenomenal shape, and he was doing triathlons and stuff at the time, and I remember telling him, you're just jealous because I look better than you. And yet, I didn't look good. People would say, oh, Bo, you're so skinny, and I thought that's what I wanted to hear, but really what they were saying is something wrong. Are you sick? But I took it as a badge of honor and I kept going. And I remember I used to cook eggs every morning at my dad's house and then I'd throw them away. I just wanted to give the appearance that I was eating. And my dad comes up to me one day 
And I thought he was just being the overprotective parent the whole time. So I hadn't listened to his advice about nutrition hardly like my entire life. He tried to get me to eat better when I was eating pizza and stuff. And I, I just hadn't listened to him. I thought he was an overprotective parent. But he asked me, I was 23 years old, and he asked me, if I got you a trainer, would you go? And what kind of 23-year-old guy is going to say no to that? Like I said, I wanted to be healthy. I just didn't know how to do it. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't. So, as, as will be a theme for the White Stones movement, God uses not only himself, but he puts people in our lives to point us back to him. And sometimes those people are where you least suspect it. My trainer, Justin Blevins, is the guy that got me focused on the right way. He not only educated me about nutrition, he paired that up with something that spoke to me, and that's Jesus. Justin's a devout follower of Christ, and he pointed me in the right direction, but I would have never suspected he would be the person to do it. He's massive. He's this huge guy, super strong, and he has a marble sleeve on his left arm. That's who Justin is. Greatest guy. And he's the one that allowed me to realize that I was searching in all the wrong places. I wanted to be accepted by others through the way I looked. So how does this play into Whitestone's movement? Well, I finally rooted my identity in Christ. And since then, it's been four years and I'm better than ever. I'm healthy now. And I've been able to use my testimony to help others. People will always ask me, when was the turning point of your eating disorder? How did you overcome it? What was the turning point for you? I used to say it was when I overcame the eating disorder. That's the obvious answer. But what I've since realized is, I was reading in 1 Corinthians, where it says, God comforts us in times of trouble, so that when others are in times of trouble, we too can comfort them with the same love that Christ gave us. And I realized, I need to share this story. And that's why I'm doing this. That's why we're doing the White Stones movement. Our culture has slid so far, and social media is driving us even further away from rooting our identity in Christ. So, like I said, I was looking in all the wrong places. And it says in John 5.44, How can you believe since you accept glory from one another? But do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. So when was the last time you let God tell you who you are instead of your Instagram likes, your Facebook shares? When was the last time? Because God adores you and he wants to crown you with his thoughts. Insecurity comes from looking at yourself, but confidence comes from looking at God. Insecurity and fear are no longer fighting my story because I root my identity in Christ. I look to God. And that doesn't mean that I don't have bad days. I certainly have bad days. But now when I have bad days, I don't let that roll down the hill. I stop myself and I remember that I am a child of God. So I really believe the enemy... Satan provides a suspicion of what God speaks to be true in order to get us off the path of rooting our identity in Christ. And this was exemplified through the temptation that Satan even threw at Jesus. There's three lies that come from this. There is the lie that I am what I do. 
which is, do you define yourself by your occupation? Do you define yourself by your actions? Do you define yourself by saying you are what you do? The second is, I am what I have. Are you defining yourself by your possessions? Oh, you have a great car. In fact, I used to know a guy who, who fell into this. Everyone thought he was rich. Everyone was like, oh, I want to be like him. He's got his life figured out. Until one day, a car shows up and repossesses his car. One day, the bank forecloses his home. He was broken. But luckily, God had surrounded him with some people, myself, my dad, Justin, my trainer, and others that were able to pick him up and help him and point him to Christ. And he was able to no longer define himself by what he had, but he was able to define himself by what God said he is, who God made him to be. The third, the third lie that I think is thrown at us is the one that's most frequent for our culture, and that is, I am what people think I am. This is what I found myself in. This is where I got lost. But we can't let others define who God says we are. Because God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we are created with a purpose. That he, he has us exactly where he needs us to be. That God is our image bearer. God is our identity. So when Jesus was tempted by these three things as well, he always came back saying, it is written. And then he would explain himself. So it's so important that we understand scripture. It's so important that the body armor of God, the only offensive weapon is the sword and the sword is the word. So if we're going to combat these lies, we have to know what God says we are. And it says in Genesis 1.27 that we were created in his image. It says, so created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Scripture also will tell us that we are chosen, holy, and blameless before God. So Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. He has chosen you. Find your identity in Him. So you might be asking, why, is, why are we calling White Stones Movement White Stones Movement? I get it. There's identity in Christ. There's testimony. But why a white stone? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So... One of the verses that came to me when I was thinking about this was Revelation 2.17. I'm going to read that to you right now. It says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone. I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name. That no one understands except for the one who receives it. So in that time, to better understand this, when John was writing this, in that time, in the court system, the judge, based on his ruling, would either set out a black stone signifying guilt or a white stone signifying innocence. That picture of a white stone to the people at the time signified innocence. And when Jesus died for you on the cross... He washed away all your sin. 
He made you innocent. He created you in his image. He gave you a new name upon that white stone. He has given us each a white stone. Do we accept that white stone? Do we hold that white stone with honor? Do we root ourselves in Christ? Because I think so often we think of Christ dying on a cross. Oh, yes, he died for everyone. That is true. God died for everyone. But do you also realize that he died for you personally? If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you and you alone because you mean that much to him. Find your identity in that. Find your identity in Christ because he loves you. He cares for you and he made you to be the person that you are. He's wiped you clear of all your sins. If you repent and turn to him, So a white stone is now the name of this movement because it signifies what God has done for us, where we're finding our identity. Our new name is carved on that white stone. So if you've ever seen me speak, you know that I carry my white stone with me. On a day-to-day basis, I actually keep it next to my toothbrush so that the first thing I do in the morning, I see that white stone and I'm reminded from the very moment I wake up that I am finding my identity in Christ today. So... That being said, that is what Whitestone Movement is all about. That's my testimony, really the inspiration for me wanting to start this. Started with that. Through prayer, God kind of laid it on my heart to share this again. And going forward, we're going to be interviewing other people. So it won't just be listening to me. You'll get to hear other voices, I promise. It won't just be me. I will bring in others who... We'll talk about finding our identity in Christ. And in our culture today, in the world we live in, it's so important that we're finding our identity in Christ. So, like I said earlier, if you have any questions, hit us up on Instagram, at Whitestones Movement. That's right, it's at Whitestones Movement. So, send your questions there, and we will be able to answer them and we'll also be posting on their upcoming guests to the podcast. So you can even submit questions in advance so that I can ask them and get your question. It's answered live through the podcast. As we leave this first podcast, I want to leave you with the theme question for the white stones movement. How would believing the truth about your new identity in Christ change the way you live? Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. We look forward to sharing with you soon. God bless.